Hey, Fairborn. City Manager Rob here with Megan Howard. Hi, Megan. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm all right. Good. This is episode, is it 33? Oh, I got it wrong. 34. <laughs> Five. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't even close. That's episode 35 of Rumor Has It. Uh, we're <laughs> super excited today to talk to Brandon Huff. Brandon, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to get through your story, but those of you that may know Brandon, uh, probably know him from the Air Force Marathon as one of his things, or maybe from uh, his environmental work or anti-cut. We're going to get into all that. Uh, but let's start with, uh, so you're an Air Force Academy graduate. Let's yep. let's talk about that, what that was like, because uh, I don't know that you know many folks that know what it's like to be in a military academy, uh, and then what brought you to the Dayton area? Yeah, uh, I'm a 2011 graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, where I studied economics. I went to the academy because my father went to the academy. He was okay. a 79 grad, uh, what's known as the last all-male class at USAFA, and uh um, and then I came here afterwards because when you are about in your senior year, you put in a wish list, and I had Wright Pat as number five on my wish list and got it uh, as my first choice. So the academy, though, it's a it's a it's a tougher school. You know, the academics are quite challenging. You take a heavy course load. I graduated with over 150 credits in four years. You know, you do a lot of Saturday a.m. inspections on your room to make sure your bed's <laughs> sure. made right at 7 a.m. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough four years, but it's really fun. I, you know, I got to jump out of airplanes, spend a semester on exchange at the Naval Academy. Wow. Uh, obviously, you know, you go to all the home football games and get to see the flyovers. So it's just it's a, it's a great institution with a lot of opportunities that come from it. Fantastic. Uh, what was your first when you were when you and two, two questions. The first one, anyone that I've talked to that's been in the military says your wish list it's almost like a reverse pick. Like you want to put your first thing last because you tend to almost never get what is on the top of your list. Uh, but so what was, when you came to Ray Pat, uh, what was your first assignment here? What were you, what were you doing? I was called a six, four P I was a contracting officer. So I used to work over in building one right here, uh, near downtown Fairborn. And I spent two years doing service and commodity contracts for the air force, and then spent two years doing construction contracts. So, you know, every service and commodity the air force needs and, uh, all, any construction work the air force needs have to be done with contracts if they're above certain thresholds, which those thresholds are really low. They're only about a couple thousand dollars because they just don't want the average person in the military to just go spend tens of thousands, hundreds of sure. thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah. They want to make sure they're doing the taxpayers right. So that's what I did. And you, you had more than one assignment to write Pat. Is that correct? I, technically, <laughs> uh, the first one was as an active duty officer. And then uh, when I left the military, I moved to Los Angeles for a few years and said I'd never come back to Ohio ever <laughs> and never say never because I came back in 2017 and I worked for a little over four years as the director of the Air Force Marathon as a civilian working just a couple buildings over from where I had been a lieutenant just four years prior. You made some significant change to the Air Force Marathon uh, as the race director. Um, talk a little bit about what you saw as the race and then you did a you did something a little unconventional maybe. Uh, you kind of flipped the race uh, backwards to forwards. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when uh, my predecessor, Rob, was a great race director. He had been the race director for years and you know, he just told me um, two things when I took over. Uh, one, the race is yours. Have fun. Don't you don't have any shoes to fill, but two, everything you do, just do it in the best interest of the U.S. Air Force, and you'll always make the right decision. And so I, I took those two things and tried to combine them wherever I could, and tried to make improvements that I thought would benefit the race, the community, the Air Force. And uh, one of the problems we had in the half or in the <clears throat> sorry, 
in the full marathon was that um, people said it was a little boring because mm. the backside of the flight line was around, you know, 10 to 17 miles and there's no crowd support back there. It's just kind of quiet, which isn't a bad thing, but maybe just not the best sure. at that stage of the race. So we decided to flip the course backwards and make that miles about four through 11 um, and get that out of the way early, which then put people in Fairborn around 15, 16 and put the most exciting portion of our course later in the race where people needed it more. But then that made us have to change the half, which made us change the 10 K. So there's kind of like this, like, you know, cascading effect. So sure. all the courses got changed after my first year. And, uh, those are still the courses they're using now. Um, some five years later, we are days away from the air force marathon that just occurred. Um, how important is the fly zone that we, we take great pride in Fairborn of being the only city that the air force marathon runs through. And so we put a lot of effort into trying to welcome the runners and make that an enjoyable experience. How important is the fly zone to someone who's running the marathon? And I know Megan has first-hand experience. She'll probably weigh in on too. Yeah, I think it's really important first to say that um, I was paid for four years to tell people I love the Air Force Marathon, but I always reminded people that I told people I loved the Air Force Marathon before I was paid to say I love the Air Force Marathon, and now I'm not paid again. I still will tell people I love it. I want to say that because I ran the marathon three times before I had the privilege of working for the Air Force Marathon. And I am quite sure if you go back and look at my mile splits for each of those marathons, my fastest mile split in each one was the Fairborne Fly Zone. It okay. is just so much energy coming through town and the town just goes all in. And some of my favorite shots of all time, when I look through, you know, 27 years now, 28 years or so of history of the Air Force Marathon are some of these sky view shots of the runners coming down uh, downtown Fairborn, all the flags up. It's just, they're just really great shots and runners always love it. So it, it, I think it means a ton to the runners who come through town. Yeah, I was... Uh you know, looking back through some of the pictures and some of my some of my favorite pictures uh, when I was just looking back over the last few weeks are the runners through the fly zone. And, you know, not only overhead, you know, like you were talking about just, but in the fly zone, you know, there are, are smiles like bigger than ever yeah. of the runners coming through the fly zone. And it, you know, it was really cool because after we got done on a Saturday, because we only were in the 10k i say only but you know comparatively to previous years we got done earlier than normal and so we were able to make it back and the race was still going on and so i was standing with sean and there were some of the tail end runners still going through and you know to to be there and see their faces when he called their name coming through yeah. you know they were so excited just there were not very many people in the fly zone, you know, at that point in the race. And I remember that feeling going through the marathon and, you know, when you're slow, nobody, nobody's really around anymore. And so, but just to have him there and to call their name, I mean, they got so excited, you know, just to have that presence there. And, you know, that was, that was really neat. And I know if I would have had that in mile 14, 15, to have that boost instead yeah. of the freaking sun in the middle of the flight line <laughs> with the sun literally beating down on me that day. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have been really excited too, but you know, man, I, it literally was the best part of the marathon other than the finish line. And I'm so proud that it is in our city. 
And You make a, a good point there too. You said on the middle of the flight line, for those who remember and who have done the marathon many years ago, the marathon used to run down the flight line um, um, up until about, I think, 2008 or nine. And then they had to do some construction on the flight line. So they had to deter or we had to make a detour for one year on the course. <clears throat> and then the runner said, please don't put it back on the flight line. It is so hot on the flight line. Oh. Yeah. So they never went back to using the flight line after that. So that's the nice thing now too, is, you know, by, um, when you're getting out of Fairborn now, you only have a couple miles in ride pat to get back to the finish instead of a whole another 16. So you just, you can take the energy from the city and it, it just carries you all the way back down Kaufman, um, right back down Springfield street into the air force museum. And another thing we didn't mention is it's just nice to, it shows people that, you know, right pat is, you know, tied at the hip with Fairborn, yeah. and it's such a great look for the city yeah. and that whole street is just so beautiful. So it's, it's just a great way to show the runners what this, this city is all about. And congratulations, you finished second in the 10K this year, correct? Yes, I did. And after winning it last year, so first and second. Yeah, I'm getting. I guess I'm getting. I guess I'm getting older. It's hard. It's getting harder to win now. But uh, no, it's it's right. just such a privilege to, like I said, to have run the race many years ago, then to have worked um, on it, and then the staff this year just did such an incredible job. It's such a privilege to be able to come back out and run it, and then see friends as I'm, you know, running down the chute. Just feels so good. Yeah, we're so I we're gonna yeah. we can talk about it later, but I got it on my list. So we'll, no, you, no, no, we'll circle back. Okay, I, we'll circle back. I, I want to talk a little philosophical here for a minute, though, Brandon, because you're what I would consider an, you're an avid runner. Um, why do you run? You know, it was one of those things. I my father did it, <laughs> and so I, so much of like what we do in life, our parents do. Yeah. Um, and but for years, I, I think I ran for him even though he never pushed me to do it ever, like not once did my father push me to run, but I think I was doing it for him. And, and then somewhere, you know, probably around 20 or so, I just recognized like I liked it. And now I tell people that, you know, I run for a few reasons. One, um, I just like to see how fast I can be. It's very fun to just try to push yourself like that. Uh, two, I really love food. And so the, the more I run, the more I can eat, the more, you know, more pizzas and cookies, even though I'm probably still not supposed to have those things. Uh, I can get away with them. Um, three, it's like mental health. Um, you know, one of my good training partners was a doctor and he said, you know, we're all just self-medicating out there mile after mile. And the last reason is it's just really important to me to be healthy for my son. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, my father, uh, at age 60 or so did Mount Kilimanjaro with me mm. wow. and my wife and, you know, to stand on the summit of the roof of Africa at like 20,000 feet with my father was just an incredible experience. And I want to make sure I can give my child those same experiences. And if he says, Hey, you want to go ride the bike or throw the ball or climb the tallest mountain in Africa? I want to say, yeah. Sure. And so running helps me stay fit for that. Wow. That's a great, that's great. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. Sorry if that was too personal. Of a no, question it's a great to, question. Thank you. To ask. But, uh, so you, uh, ran the marathon for four years. You said, uh, you decided then after that to kind of pivot in your career uh, talk a little bit about that. You, and at the same time went back to graduate school. Yeah. Um, so I was in like my uh, third or fourth year working the air force marathon and I just, I really like school, <laughs> uh, much to my wife's chagrin. I would stay in school forever if I could. And I, I was being pulled to go back for another master's degree and, um, decided that getting a master of public affairs was the right choice. 
Um, and so I went to Indiana University, and it was such a wonderful program there. I'd highly recommend it. And going through that experience, I was actually really hoping to get a dual master's, uh, the Master of Science in Environmental Science, but you can't do that from afar. You have to be in person for the MSES. And so I, I really pushed it. I tried to get an exception through the dean, and they wouldn't allow it, but they let the head of the Environmental Science Department be my advisor. Um, as I went through this MPA program, which I was the first MPA student to have the environmental science department <laughs> as uh, an advisor. And so I said, you know, if I can't, you know, get this degree that I want, I'm just going to start reading on my own. And the first book I just stumbled across was called Nature's Best Hope by Professor Douglas Tallamy of the University of Delaware. And it's all about how, you know, we have this biodiversity crises. Um, and what's underlying the, the issue is that we have destroyed all the plants and we've just put in these big turf lawns and, you know, concrete and roadways, but that if we just on our own properties plant some native plants, we can make a big difference. And he just went through the science in such a clear way. And it was so actionable and just really spoke to me that I started on that journey of doing it on our property. And then that book became many other books, um, you know, some of the classics like Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, which like launched the environmental movement in the 60s, uh, Aldo Leopold's Sand County Almanac, and just many other books now. And so while I didn't get a Master of Science in Environmental Science, <laughs> I kind of just went and did it myself sure. through my readings. And then I finished my MPA and uh, an opportunity opened up for me to move into the conservation space with the organization that was co-founded by Douglas Tallamy, um, and that organization is now called Homegrown National Park, and that's who I work for. Uh, you've undertaken a pretty major project. You talk about it just a minute ago on your property. Um, talk about what you've done to help uh, remove invasive species and add some native plants to your yard. Yeah, when we first moved in, we live um, in uh, just outside of town with about 1.8 acres that we've had for five years, and when we first moved in, the first project I did was to get rid of the honeysuckle. Um, a lot of people know this. Honeysuckle is very invasive. Right. If you would have lived in Ohio about 100 years ago, there were no honeysuckle. You would walk through Glen Helen or any of our parks, and most of the understory would be a clear canopy you could just walk through. And so I knew that much at that point, and I got rid of that and thought it would be nice to put in some wildflowers. And that's before I knew really what I was doing. And then I read Doug's book, and Doug kind of goes with this goal. Um, it's kind of based off another scientist, E.O. Wilson, who's a very famous scientist uh, who proposed that we need to put half of the earth away and protect half of the earth for biodiversity. So Doug says, if you can, try to convert half your yard. And so I started on that journey, and the first thing we did was we um, got rid of about 15,000 square feet of grass, so a little bit uh, more than a third of an acre, yeah. and planted a native prairie with about 30 plus species of native wildflowers and grasses. So that's in its second year and we've identified 20 plus species so far and it's coming together wow. and we have a little walking path through it. It's so beautiful. And then we started going with trees and shrubs. Um, and so oak trees are so important for biodiversity. You know, the Bradford pear, which is a massively invasive species right. that is all over that people planted, cities planted, we now know better. It can only support about five species of butterflies and moths, uh, like a white oak can support about 900. Wow. And so it's so important to plant oak trees, among other things. Those kind of species are called keystone species. So uh, my wife and I started planting native trees and shrubs, and we've we've almost hit about 100 now. And then the next thing we started doing was we, on the mature trees we had on the property, 
it's really important to not mow under trees because of all those moths and caterpillars, they fall out of the trees into the leaf litter below. And if you're mm. just mowing under the canopy of a tree, you're just mowing up all these insects. So we removed all the grass under our trees and connected it to the prairie. And so now we have about 30,000 square feet connected that isn't mowed. Wow. And we added native flowers and grasses under the trees, but species that do better in shade um, because they're shaded by the canopy sure. of the tree. So we're now at about three quarter acre of native species. And it's just so fun to watch how many new birds have showed up on the property, how many butterflies. We find monarchs all over our milkweeds. Um, it's just fun. It's a great place to raise a kid too. And, you know, there's been such a push now. We've had a couple of uh, guests on. We had Dottie Mead, who's uh, Dottie is going to be the district governor of Rotary uh, coming up. And she's taken on the uh, native species and the pollinators as one of her projects she wants to do uh, district wide in Rotary. Um, it, it's it's become more of a, as you said, it's it doesn't take a lot um, to make a difference. Right. So maybe I don't have a big yard that I can take, you know, a thousand, ten thousand square feet of. What can I do is Rob Anderson to do a little thing to help uh, add some biodiversity back? Yeah, that's such a great question because, you know, as we were talking earlier is, you know, it's really hard sometimes when you look at some of the environmental crises that are going on and think, how do I solve this? You know, I'm a, I'm a college student or, you know, I'm a full-time parent and I live in an apartment and how can I help? Right. And the cool thing about the biodiversity issue is native plants is an actionable item that everybody can be a part of. So on Homegrown National Park's website, we had this issue where people who only have apartments or patios or live in New York. York City, we're like, well, how can I help? So we made a whole section called uh, Container Gardening with Keystones. Oh. And so you, you can just click on the map where you live and it shows you the native plants in your region that will work oh. in containers. And so, you know, everything from if you just have a patio and you can plant one native plant to if you have a yard, you know, you can do what I did, um, but it doesn't have to be that big. You know, maybe you just want to plant one plant. Well, just make sure that's a native tree. You know, um, the problem is like a lot of these garden centers are selling so many non-natives, right. but like if you go into Siebenthaler's these days, the whole entryway is now native plants. And wow. if you're unsure, you know, you can always just Google the species you're looking at and say like, is, you know, X plant native and right. it'll tell you. And so always opt for a native plant and you can support biodiversity and that, that's just one of the coolest things. It's very actionable. Everybody can make a difference with just one plant. Wow. I think what was cool is, you know, we were talking beforehand about, you know, this idea of, you know, people always want to go to these national parks, you know, across the U.S. And what they don't realize is they can create that, you know, literally in their own backyard. And, you know, I thought, you know, that is such a, a crazy idea, but just such a cool idea that, you know, we have within our own means this ability to, you know, create our own you know, quote unquote, national park in our own, in our own space. Um, we just have to have the willingness, you know, and the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just, people don't realize that, you know, it's, it's a necessity and that, that we need to do it. 
Yeah, we've become very, our culture has, we've been conditioned to have these like manicured lawns. That's not normal. That it's actually, if you go into the history of it, it comes from the aristocracy and the French and the English back in the 17, 1800s. You know, only the rich could have lawns. You saw that in the introduction of uh, America and our country where, you know, it was like, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, who had their estates and they had these lawns because everybody else was working and using their yards. Um, and then it was, you know, a sign of affluence uh, to be able to have ornamental plants from other countries. And so we've just been trained and conditioned on this for so many centuries now that now we just have these big sterile lawns that are like, you know, we call them like uh, hellscapes uh, all the time because nothing lives on them. You know, you look out your window and people see a squirrel and a robin and they think that's normal and that's not normal. Um, that means nothing is like happening out there. Nothing can live on a big grass lawn. And so, you know, we're conditioned to go, oh, let's go to Pearl's Fen or Oaks Quarry or Huffman Prairie, which by the way, I love all of those. You'll find me at them all the time. Um, but we think we have to go to a park to have nature and you can bring that nature home. That's actually another book by Doug Tallamy called Bringing Nature Home. Um, but and it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be what we've done. You don't have to commit to like 30,000 square feet of wildflowers or a hundred trees. You know, you can just start really small. And I think if you can just commit some portion of your yard, you'll really quickly see the benefit hmm. of that. And it, it's very fun to watch. And, you know, and like I said, to raise a child, he walks through our prairie. We can point out caterpillars to him and monarchs and birds flying over. As I was saying earlier, we've now had 71 different species of birds um, come to our yard. And it's just the list keeps growing. And it's just, it's very fun, inviting place. And everyone who comes thinks, wow, this is really great. I'm like, you can do this too. It's, it's really easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other part of the manicured lawn is that most people that have take the time to have a lawn like that, make sure that it's properly watered. Now, we're not in that dire need of water. We have an abundant resource of water here. But um, having a native prairie uh, does not, you don't go out there and water your prairie. You don't waste water on it. You, <laughs> it, It's pretty much self-sustaining. Uh, so you take away all of that need for additional water where maybe it, it could stay where it's supposed to be. That too. Uh, there are so many reasons why we love it is we used to mow the 1.8 acres and oh mm. my, it just, it took so much time and it's not like people go, oh, I love mowing. I'm like, yeah, I do too, but not for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> right. And, and then one, just any of those kind of lawn equipment's actually like really bad. Like a lot of those two stroke right. engines and stuff and the noise pollution that comes with them mm -hmm. also is another problem. And then people are fertilizing and that, and then it rains and that fertilizer just goes into our, our waterways and it's bad for the water we all consume. There's nothing good coming from that. And so you're spending all this money manicuring a lawn that does nothing. Most people don't even use them. I know this. I've watched right. for years as people just mow their yards and they don't actually even use them. And so I'll see people say like, oh, uh, well, what fertilizers do you use for your trees? I'm like, I don't. They're native. They they were always meant to be here. You don't have to fertilize things that are supposed to be here. And, <laughs> you know, when, when we get into like little periods of drought and people's grass starts to die, the prairie looks amazing because grass roots are about two, three inches deep. Um, I have species in our prairie, uh, like compass plant that put down 15 foot deep roots and they're flowers. They're wow. flowers with 15 oh. foot deep roots. There's no such thing as a drought right. to a flower with a 15 foot root system. And so they purify our water, they retain water, um, and they don't require maintenance, which is really fun. Wow. So it, you can imagine as a city, we have 700 acres of parkland thereabouts 
we mow a lot of grass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps there's a way we could work together to try to figure out some areas maybe that we're mowing grass uh, that could turn into a prairie that doesn't need the maintenance because it's becoming harder and harder to find folks to mow that grass, to, to hire folks to want to do that. So maybe there's a way we can save ourselves some resources and money and time and not have to hire someone, but also do something for biodiversity and create more prairies in, in our park system. That Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest win-wins is, you know, we're every city is like cash strapped and we want to be really thoughtful with how we use taxpayer funds and is it a good use of taxpayer funds to pay someone to sit on a lawnmower and mow grass that no one is using and no one cares about and to do this week in and week out i i would argue no right um and so you can minimize how much grass you're doing you can better support biodiversity and you can still keep that person on payroll or something but you know put them in a role that better helps the the constituents of the city uh, and gives them better value. Um, so it, it, to me, it's a, it's a win-win um, and it, it's really easy to implement. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I love it. Yeah. Right? Like, love it. Yeah. I think it's awesome. You know, I'm, I like sitting on my porch and listening to birds. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll link to your nonprofit that you, you run on, on our show notes, but, um, and maybe we've talked about it all, but talk a little bit more about the goal of your organization um, is it just to show people ways that they can do small things to create more biodiversity? Yeah. So there's actually like a lot of really good organizations in the native plant space. Um, so when they founded Homegrown National Park, it was very important to them that we weren't just going to do what everyone else has done. So like locally, if you're here in the Miami Valley, like for example, there's the Midwest Native Plant Society, cannot recommend them enough. There's also another national organization called Wild Ones and Wild Ones has chapters. There's a Dayton chapter. So you can get involved locally with those, but we didn't want to just do what they were doing um, because one, we were kind of stepping on the toes of people who came before us and two, you know, in, a, in an industry that's run with, you know, fundraising, in people donating money. Is it a good use of donor money to just reinvent the wheel? No. So we view ourselves as an aggregator. We try to aggregate all the resources and tools out there to make it so easy for the person who comes in and goes, I want to enter this space. I want to, you know, how do I find the native plant that's uh, native to my area? Because a native plant in California is not a native plant here. A good example of that is you'll see blue spruce in a lot of people's yards. That is not native to Ohio. Blue spruces do not grow here um, unless you plant them. So they're native to the West Coast. So we want people to plant those plants that are native to us, but we weren't going to you know, remake that resource. So we linked to like eight other resources that show you how to find the native one. So we're just aggregating information. But our other big tool is the big driving goal right now of our organization is our initial goal is to convert half the lawns in the United States to uh, back to restored habitat. So we, we set an initial goal of converting 20 million acres wow. um, back which is aggressive, yeah. uh, you know, in a culture where lawns are so heavily prized, right. but it started really good at our, after we're only three years old. And after one year we were on pace to do it in a thousand years. And after, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super exciting. Right. And then after two years, we were on pace for about 500. Okay. And after three years, we're on pace for about like 250. So the pace is picking up. We're now about 111,000 acres that have been wow. restored. Wow. And, and that's only, that's only what we know that people have come to us and they report. Right. So you can make an account like I did three years ago. And I said, Hey, you know, my goal is five, uh, you know, 500 square feet. And then it was, you know, 10,000 square feet. And as I 
did little projects on our property, I input them into the system and it adds to the total in the system. So okay. we now have 36,000 users, I think, who have input properties at 111,000 acres. So if we were a national park, this homegrown national park would now be the 39th largest national park. Wow. So it's going, it's making a difference and uh, it's really exciting. If, if people have questions about like how to do this in their own yard, um, you know, is this something that you know, homegrown national parks like are, like are you available? You know, to like show somebody how to do this. Well, like me, Brandon Huff, like, I try to help my friends as much as possible. <laughs> uh, I can't help everybody directly, but there are so many cool resources. Like I said, you're going to have your native plant societies in almost every state. So. New Georgia has a native plant site. Washington has a native plant society. They have a lot of resources. Um, ODNR, Ohio Department of Natural Resources, okay. is going to have a lot to help you. Wild Ones is going to have a lot to help you. And you can also, there are a lot of businesses nowadays, landscaping business, who specialize entirely in native landscaping. Right. I often refer to it as native scaping. Um, hmm. So like a great one is Austin Miller down in Spring Valley owns Birdsong Landscapes, and he is tremendous. Um, Kara Maynard lives over near Vandalia and she owns deeply rooted landscapes. And so there's these, you know, and you can just call them for a consultation or you can bring them in and have them do everything for you. And then there's just, you know, good general books you can read. Like I mentioned for me, the first one was uh, nature's best hope and bringing nature home. And then there's just so many wonderful Facebook groups out there. Like one of my favorite ones is uh, Midwest native plants of the United States and their ecological importance. It's kind of a, a tongue full there, wow. mouthful, but 35,000 people in one Facebook group just talking about native plants in the Midwest. And there are so many experts in that group who if okay. you ask a question, they'll help you. So there are just just a plethora of resources to help people get started. Okay. Uh, I'll, try, I'll try to put all of that together. Yeah, we'll do the best we can to try <laughs> yeah. to get that all in there. Uh, your t-shirt reminded me, we've got some wonderful organizations locally mm -hmm. uh, that maybe don't deal with maybe prairie land, but do a great job of protecting wetlands. Uh, you're wearing the Beaver Creek Wetlands Association. We also have the BW Greenway. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Jurek is yeah. a, a legend <laughs> in this part of part of the the region. So, um, talk about if you can uh, much involvement you have with them, what you've done with those groups, and how important they are. Yeah, so I'm a board member of the Beaver Creek Wetlands Association. Have been for the past couple of years. That was actually one of the ways I really got involved in this space was through the BCWA. Um, as I started paying attention to native plants and birds. Um, it was really birding is how I got yeah. into this. I, I started looking for birds and uh, I wanted to see new species. And that's kind of the fun thing about birding, by the way, it's, it's like Pokemon in real life. You know, you got to find them all. <laughs> so I'm just out there trying to find all these birds. And so you have to go to where the birds are. Like you're not going to have a heron show up on your turf lawn. <laughs> so you're like, okay, where am I going to find a heron or an egret? Or, you know, where am I going to find this like random species of finch or an osprey? Right. You've got to go to their habitat. So uh, a lot of the birds I was looking for hang out in wetlands right. and actually a huge majority majority of the species of bird species hang out. I think it's about one third of birds um, can be found in wetlands. Hmm. And so that's how, what my introduction was to the Beaver Creek Wetlands Association. So 35 years ago, the whole wetland corridor through Beaver Creek that starts at Pearls Fen here in Fairborn and yep. goes all the way down to the 35 was pretty much destroyed and gone. And a few really amazing gentlemen who are still with us um, recognized this issue and they got together and formed the Beaver Creek Wetlands Association. So they spent 35 years 
mm-hmm. trying to restore this land. And through grants and private donors, we now have over 2,300 acres of restored wetlands. And we're currently working on a, a trail system that connects all of them. We just finished phase two. So you can pretty much now start down at the 35 and you can make your way all the way up to about Fairground Road, if you're familiar with that area of Beaver Creek Township yeah. over near Siebenthaler. So it's about four or five miles now of connected path through wetlands. Yeah. It's amazing. So I have, do you have the, the Merlin app? Oh yeah, of course. It's like the greatest <laughs> app. I discovered it during COVID. And is that the bird? Yeah. Uh, they'll recognize and the yeah. Birds? My life has never been the same. Like, <laughs> I and, I, and I discovered how bad we have noise pollution. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> like I'll sit on my front porch and I'll open up my app and I'll hear a bird. And then all of a sudden my app, it, it can't hear anything because there are so many cars going right. by my house. I'm like, this is terrible. That's why I told the, as I mentioned to the, like the, uh, the, the yard equipment, yeah. you know, when people are running like weed eaters oh, and once you start like recognizing how bad like oh. the noise pollution is from yard equipment, yes. you'll like grow to hate yard equipment. Yes. Right. So, but right. I, I, I echo what you say. Um, Merlin oh. is the greatest app it has been just <laughs> instrumental in getting so many people into birding and uh birding is like the gateway drug of the natural world because you know for the average person they're just not recognizing day-to-day all the birds around them and right. when you start recognizing them oh, it's, so it's cool. really exciting you know like i said we're just so used to the robin yeah. but then you start going oh that's a chickadee and that's uh-huh. a titmouse and the, the app is like helping you identify these and i have friends now all the time who'll be like oh look at they send me a screenshot uh-huh. of the birds and they're like look what was in my yard and and uh, it just, it gets me really excited that yeah. people are paying to the attention to the world around them now, thanks yeah. to that app. Like I was listening the other day and I, I said something to one of my kids. I was like, that's the, the morning dove. And they're like, mom, you're so old. Stop. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's so cool. It's like right up there on their house. Uh, for, like, I know it. For those out there who can like visualize it, like there's that meme of, uh, you know, Dana White from uh, the UFC. <laughs> yeah. And he's like losing his mind. Yeah. There's a monster can on the table. Yep. And it's like people in their fifties when they see a bird at the feeder. Like, yep. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's how I feel sometimes, yep. but it, it is really exciting. And I know that the morning dove as you're talking about has that soft coo. Yeah. It's really nice. And I have to tell people the morning dove, it's not like the morning time. It's, it's morning, it's morning like, like sadness. Like sad. and yeah. That's what that soft coo is like. Yep. It's oh. such a great bird. You made a discovery of a bird at Caesars Creek, I think took a picture of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently talk about that yeah i wish i could say i, I made the discovery well, huh? no i i had di- a, i discovered it from you How about yeah that? <laughs> i was working a job because it was a friday um but someone messaged me actually it was one of my running friends who just happened to be at caesar creek that day he's like yo there's a flamingo uh two of them at caesar's <laughs> creek and i was like what no and and so i immediately because that's so insane i i checked i'm in a, a facebook group called like rare birds of ohio and sure enough it had been posted there and so for those who don't know flamingos hang out a lot around the Gulf Coast, uh, but on the Mexican side and on the like Cuba side, um, the only place on the continental United States is the very, very southern tip of Florida. And they don't leave. They're not like migratory. And so for two flamingos to be at Caesars Creek is absolutely insane. They had never been reported in the state. And uh, the first questions people were asking were like, well, are they like wild escapees like from a zoo? And people were <laughs> like, well, no, they usually like clip those so they can't fly. Um, or were they banded? You know, a lot yeah. of birds, if you ever see them, they'll have like little ankle bands. And that's an identifier of where they're coming from. 
And nope, these were just completely wild flamingos. They got pushed up by the hurricane huh. and they ended oh, up no in kidding. Pennsylvania, South Carolina, um, I think like Alabama, Texas. It was, they were just all over oh the goodness. place. And wow. so they were only here for about six hours and they flew away and they were never seen again. Right. So huh. I luckily got down there really quick, got my photos and then made it back to Fairborn Community Park for the Wright State Cross Country Race at six. <laughs> <laughs> made it just in time to warm up. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <coughs> Brandon, anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about that is a passion of yours? Oh, I don't know. We've talked about running. Um, you've run, you said, already two of the six major marathons in the world. Mm -hmm. um, talk about those. You've run Boston and New York. Yeah. Uh, uh, talk about that experience. Yeah, there's six major marathons. Most people are familiar with Boston. Um, the other ones in the United States would be New York City Marathon, Chicago Marathon, and then the three internationals are London, Tokyo, and Berlin, most of these require qualifying times right. to get in. And if you can't qualify, you can get in with a, a, a you know, a raffle entry, essentially a lottery entry is what people, or you can go in through charity. Boston has a three hour time qualifying for males of my age. Um, New York's even faster. New York's is about 253. Berlin's is the fastest at 245. Wow. And so they're wonderful races. You know, if you are a runner and you are interested in marathons, they're kind of like, you know, the Holy Grail. Everybody wants to run Boston. And it, I know why. It's a great race. I did it in 2008, 2014, 2023. And then um, to be honest, though, I thought, I mean, this is a little like sacrilegious in the space to say this, but I think New York's better. Um, hmm. New York is you know, I live in the country with a, you know, a wildflower prairie in my backyard. So right. it's weird for me to say this, but New York's an amazing city and yeah. it's very fun to visit and they do such a phenomenal job and you run over, you know, the Staten Island bridge. Um, and then you run over like the Queensboro bridge and you run through, you know, Manhattan and all five boroughs. Right. It's, it's just, it's really special. Mm. Uh, and it's cool, you know, it's you and your closest 50,000 friends running through the streets of New York and they've shut down these massive bridges and you see like the NYPD flying by in their helicopters and the city just like shuts down for marathons, the same at Boston and all of these majors. And so I've been very privileged to have the opportunity to get to do those. And I'm really hoping I've got the qualifying time for Berlin. And so if my schedule permits with my wife and I, we are hoping to go to Germany next year so I can check off my third world major. Wow. Fantastic. That's yep. amazing. Uh, we will cheer you on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to need it. <laughs> I actually do a pretty good job. I mean, the technology with racing is obviously grown with technology. Uh, so we can track you. Uh, mm -hmm. At least I've seen like if you know where yeah. you can track them as, as you're running. Yeah. So um, most of the races these days, larger races are going to have live tracking uh, through apps uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's relatively simple. All things considered, you know, every runner is actually running their bib number has a small little chip okay. on that, uh, the back of the bib number, it's like a passive chip. And so we put these mats down, um, that you run over a lot of runners don't even pay attention, but those mats, there's like cables in them and they're running down to like a little box at the end of the, the side of the street there. And that's a little computer and it's connected to the internet so when you run over that those you know those mats in the ground it sends a signal up and hits your chip and that then it gets sent back down goes through oh. the cables to the computer box gets uploaded to the internet so it's called live tracking and at your big races you know at air force marathon if you do the full marathon you might get five or six locations throughout the race mm -hmm. you go to a place like um new york city i think one year i did it 
after the first few miles because New York's so crazy. They have three start lines and it takes about three to four miles for those three courses to merge together to become one. That wow. sounds like that crazy, but that's how hard it is to start 50,000 people. But once everybody's together, they had tracking every mile, oh um, which wow. is, is awesome if you're having a great race for your friends. Like, oh, wow, <laughs> look at Brandon. He's having a great time. But then when you start to blow up and you're doing really bad, they're like, wow, look at Brandon blowing up out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it, 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 And you're definitely thinking about that when you're out there running and you know you have all your friends tracking you. You're like, oh man, I'm letting everybody down right now. <laughs> so yeah, the, the tracking is so cool. It's a great way to follow friends and cheer them on from afar. Hmm. That's great. Oh, yeah. Anything to add, Megan? No, you like, said you were going to loop back to something. Yeah, well, we got our updates. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll yeah, so again, Brandon, thanks for being here. Appreciate you Thank sharing you your story. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to go through a couple other updates from stuff that's happened. You're welcome to please stay and yeah. and add your input. If you have anything you want to add to it, please feel free. You can kind yeah, of pile I'll on. I do just want to say, though, I mean, this, this can be off the record, too. I just I love what the city's been doing. I've been following it you know obviously i'm really into the community and you know i'm a beaver creek rotarian i'm on the board of the wetlands and just watching what the city's been doing for these past i don't even know five six seven years and it's it's the small things too whether it's the new signage or you know getting you know uh the roadways redone and i know some citizens weren't happy about the the (laughs) two-year timeline or however long that took but whatever (laughs) the schools are new and new businesses are coming and it's just it's such an exciting time to be in fairborn um i absolutely love it thank you and you know when we painted those air force marathon water towers yeah um those were definitely 100 percent inspired by fairborn's water towers (laughs) i remember when y'all did them here I just thought, wow, you know, what an amazing asset. You have this blank canvas in the sky. Why not make something of it? And so it was Fairborn's Water Towers who inspired the Air Force Marathon to repaint the ones on base instead of them just looking blank. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for saying that. Appreciate it. No worries. I'll stick around. All right. Megan, we had a busy weekend. We did. Uh, And let's, I won't even begin to mess it up by starting. Why don't you... Uh, why don't you go and then I'll add in as I need to. Yeah, so we started the weekend on Thursday. They had the... uh, the parade for homecoming. homecoming. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming it went well. Um, did, I was yeah, not here because sure we were at the expo uh, handing out uh, just a bunch of stuff and it was awesome. Yeah. Um, and Friday we were at the expo handing out uh, additionally a bunch of things right. and it went awesome. Uh, but Friday after that, uh, as I was running. 5K. And Tara was running and my son was running super fast. I was not. Uh, you were here. <laughs> We were having With a little event called Hairborn. Bronson Arroyo. Downtown, yeah. Uh, Bronson Arroyo Band opened up, and then that Arena Rock Show was, I think, the biggest crowd we've had for an event downtown since we've started doing these events. That Yeah. Uh, it was really, and it was a beautiful day. I think the weather was absolutely perfect. It was perfect. So we were blessed with weather. Um, but, yeah, it was a great crowd. And, you know, unfortunately, it was up against a couple things. The homecoming game for football was there. So yep. uh, I'm, I shudder to think what the crowd would have been if we were the only thing going. Because I know. We may not have been able to contain everybody. When I got here at about eight o'clock, I think uh, that Arena Rock show had just finished playing their third song, yep. and I was standing on the back trailer, uh, and it it was full. But yep. when I walked down to try to find you, the first like five or six rows of people were as crammed in as I have ever seen yep. people crammed in before, and um, I mean it was. There were so many people there. I was blown away. Yeah. So we had a wonderful Friday. It was really great. 
everything turned out. It was, again, the events we've done have been very uh, well attended. The crowds have been wonderful. We've not had any problems. It's really been been yeah. great. So it's a another great event. Did you see the goats? Saw the goats and the, did you see the raccoon? I did not see the raccoon. Uh, so I pet, heard about the raccoon. <laughs> we had a pet raccoon and then two pet goats that were there. So yeah. we're not only family friendly, we're multi We're multi pet friendly, right. yeah. Have yeah. you ever had a little Sebastian? The pony? <laughs> the, the pony? We've not. We should. We yeah, should. Try to get a little Sebastian <laughs> we'll a little here. Sebastian I think some people in. would like that. <laughs> Are you familiar no. with little Sebastian from Parks and Rec? No. No? No. I'm not. I have not yeah. seen that one. We'll get you sped up on little yeah, Sebastian. Yeah, that'll, that'll be your study. You'll study for the next <laughs> Okay, I'll study for the next one. Little Sebastian. So Friday came and went, although uh, I was so super tired. I was super tired yeah. when I got home on I'm Friday. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I had a 4 a.m. wake up the next morning. So then the Air Force Marathon came literally running through town. Literally running through town. Yeah. Uh, 10K, uh, half, and then full marathon. Full marathon came through uh, Fairborn and the fly zone. Um, and then everything else happened on base. Uh, and what I wanted to circle back through is uh, I thought it was very well, very well organized. And shout out to Rachel and her entire team. Yeah. Um, they just did a phenomenal job. Um, every time we trek over there, about five o'clock in the morning. I'm always amazed at everything that is already set up um, and all the volunteers that they have already out and about. Um, so shout out to all the volunteers that set up. Um, They're already awake at that hour of the day and right. our police and fire crews and all the people that volunteer here in the fly zone. I mean, it's just the massive setup for that event is incredible. Um, so just kudos to everybody that makes that event happen because it's, it's a huge, huge, huge spotlight on this area and, and our community. And again, it was the weather was terrific. They announced at the breakfast it was the most perfect weather they've ever had for a marathon. Yeah, um, I joke all the time when the Air Force Marathon shares their like Throwback Thursday photos. I'm like, oh yeah, that looks like an Air Force Marathon because you can see the heat and humidity yeah. in the right. photos. Like so <laughs> many of the photos are like hazy because of the fog, and right. I think it was in the like high 40s or something. Yeah. and right. the humidity was only about 80 percent, which this time of year it's usually you know 100 percent. Yeah. Right. And it was so just so perfect, and the team did such a good job. It came through the finish line, and there was all this food selection and. Uh, you know, a little bit of intimate knowledge since I worked it for four years and I, I was just looking around, I was talking to the staff afterwards, like y'all have, are clearly doing better than when I was here. Um, <laughs> they have just taken everything and run with it. Uh, no pun intended. They've just yeah. done such, they've improved in every aspect since I was there just a couple of years ago. I was loading a bag full oh of my like, gosh. snacks. I was oh, so yeah. stoked. Like I got through and the, the girls were like holding up stuff and she's like, do you want this or this? And I'm like, ah, oh, I'll take that one. <laughs> next girl this or this and I'm like okay this is overwhelming like good job like I don't even know what to take anymore and I remember coming down that last hill and I saw the you know the the flag and it was you know they have the color codes on you know the environment and it was green and I I looked at Tara and I said Tara I don't ever remember seeing you know the risk level being green right um I said it's either yellow, red, or we've seen it black, you know, yeah. multiple times. My first year was, we had to, if, if those remember 2018 was, was the, we had a oh black, yeah, black flag. flag it. It. Yep. Um, it was so hot. Um, I was lamenting to my wife though. Um, I changed the start times a handful of years ago in like 2019 and made the 10 K at six 30. Yes, you did. And I just told people like, you know, you're just gonna have to deal with it. And now 
I'm able to run the race. And I looked at my wife the night before and I was like, who made this race? 6.30 a.m. Like, this is so terrible. I, I have to get up so early to go run this race. And I was like, I was like, this decision sucks now. It's very personal. Uh, I should have had more foresight That's there. Right. But no, Rachel and the team, just phenomenal, phenomenal. I love coming back every year. I cannot wait to do it next year. Yeah, it's it, it was such a good time. So yeah, huge, huge shout out to them. So we finished that and uh, got everything, you know, cleaned up. And then they had the car show on Sunday, uh, which I did. I, I was not there. I was. So I attended the car show. Great. I mean, we have some really cool cars in this region. Uh, and again, shout out to the Fairborn Chamber of Commerce. Put that together. Yeah. Great selection of cars. It was pretty well attended. Um, the Heels for Heroes event, which raises money for Operation Fairborn Cares, yeah. uh, I think made a, a good amount of money. We had some really good video out there of. Uh, some ladies running in some oversized combat boots and some men running in uh, some high heels for charity. So excellent. Uh, yeah, it turned out really good. Good. Uh, so a few things that we have uh, coming up. Um, do you have information on the Funderburg uh, project? So we're replacing the water line on Funderburg. Uh, that has been awarded, uh, should be under construction here in the next month or so. Yeah. Uh, will likely last for several months. Uh, it is a very large water line that needs to be replaced. Uh, so we'll, and it's pretty deep. Yeah. Uh, so they'll have to close uh, Funderburg in that area. There is a detour that's uh, pretty common sense. Uh, you can make your way around, but uh, just give us some grace in that area. But hopefully this will address all the water main breaks. And if you go through there now, you can see all the various pavements that have been patched. Uh, we'll take care of all that and put some new pavement down. Yeah. So if you see, we had some uh, questions earlier last week about road closure coming up. So that's what the road closure on Funderburg uh, is. Um, so if you see those signs, just yep. be aware. Um, we have two events coming up uh, in October. Well, we have lots of events coming up in October, but uh, two kind of right off the bat. Uh, October 1st uh, from 12 to 5, I think, 12 to 5, uh, we have our public safety in the park. Our police and fire are doing uh, their public safety event in the park at Community Park. Um, they're going to have touch of trucks. They're going to have food trucks. They're going to have all kinds of trucks and vehicles and giveaways and all that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Pat's going to be there. Green County Health's going to be there. Um, the task force Police stuff. dogs, fire Police dogs. dogs fire everything. do yeah. Everything's going to be there. So that task force one, is that you were saying going to be there? Uh, that's yeah. the Green County ACE task force. It's oh, our okay. drug task force. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the EMA is going to be there. Uh, they got right. all kinds of fun stuff's going to be there. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a really good time They're They're going to, they're trying something new this year. So join them. And yeah learn about public safety yep and then we have uh friday the 13th is uh 90s grunge so we've got a couple bands coming that are 90s grunge so get your flannel out and uh yeah come downtown ready to, to hear some grunge music it's gonna be a lot of fun smells like teen spirit that's right <laughs> that's right <laughs> should be a good time and then last do you have anything else before i, oh, no, I, I say ahead. this one yeah, you go ahead and then last but not least brandon do you know what today is Tuesday the 19th. But it is. It, that it, is true. It is also talk like a pirate day. Oh, I thought I was going to say like, I <laughs> also thought it was maybe national voters registration. Day. It is. It is national oh, yeah, voters registration day. I, I have Actually. As a, as a poll worker, I've, uh, <laughs> right? I, I like to work in the polls. Please, if you haven't registered to vote, yeah. I'm going to take that moment to say Absolutely. get out there and uh, register to vote. Arr. Arr. <laughs> it is national voter registration day, um, but it is also talk like a pirate day. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready, ready for, for some, some so, pirate jokes? So these are some good uh, pirate dad jokes. Okay, let's since, go. Since you're a dad, um, how do pirates know that they're pirates? 
no idea. They think, therefore they are. <laughs> <laughs> Rene Descartes is upset right now. <laughs> right, that's bad. That's right. Uh, uh, how, how did the pirate get his Jolly Roger so cheap? No he, he bought it on sale. <laughs> Let's do one more before we start losing everybody off this podcast. Oh, one more. I, no, let me do like two more. All right, two more. Okay. Uh, why did it take pirate the pirate so long to learn the alphabet? He spent too much time on R. Uh, see, that's, that's a I good one. I said the one. same thing. Uh, he spent too many years at sea. Oh, okay, okay. I was in the ball. I feel <laughs> you like were I was in the ballpark. Ball. Yeah, was yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, it was a good guess. All right. Uh, we'll do two more on this page. Uh, what did the ocean say to the to the pirate? No idea. Nothing. It just waved. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since you're a, a runner and a fitness type of person, what is a pirate's favorite type of exercise? A plank. Man, we should have done those videos where it's Maybe. trying not to laugh. Like we should have gone back and forth. <laughs> so, <laughs> so funny you say that. I went to uh, Penrod's office and we did this and he was like, man, it's a good thing I didn't have like water in my mouth. And I was like, you know what we should do? We should do like a police versus fire. One of those like on national joke day. Who can make the other and, laugh? Yeah. Who can make, you know, the other funny. laugh. So we'll do that. So thank you for entertaining my pirate jokes. Oh no, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh. Ridiculous jokes, if I may. It's not pirate theme, no, but please. here's okay. my all-time no, favorite joke. Uh, and I, I like this one before I got into plants. But uh, so that's a little hint there is what type of flower grows between your nose and your chin? Mm, I don't know. I give up. Tulips. Tulips. Oh, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> that's a great way to end it. So, Brandon, oh, thanks for being it. here. appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, we'll see you all around town. <laughs> so Brandon, we do an Easter egg after most of our episodes. So we, we have a little bit of time after the, the music goes off. Most people turn it off. So I did want to ask you a question. Yep. Um, you have the advanced running project is your, uh, is your business that you've said you've been on hold for a little bit. Yep. Um, if we wanted to do our own 5K in Fairborn, would you help us plan a route? Oh, def definitely. That was actually my uh, my expertise when I got into race management in 2014 was course operations. I used to do all the course operations for Run Disney on the West Coast. Wow. So if you ever did like a Disneyland half marathon or 10K or 5K, yeah, I designed the courses. Um, I know Disneyland inside and out. Um, but I don't know the characters because I don't know Disney. <laughs> but yeah, okay. so I specialize in designing courses. Uh, and that sounds like a niche thing, but, you know, recognizing the, the, the optimal routes and not impacting people and churches, et cetera. I'm really, that's what I uh, specialize in. We've been asked, I think, several times to have our own race. We realize in the Marathon 5K or the Air Force 5K comes through Fairborn at Wright State, but we thought about maybe having one at one of our, based out of one of our parks, whether it be Central Park or Community Park, or we can do a 5K. Um, as in, we used to do one. Uh, I don't yeah. know why we stopped, uh, but maybe if we pick that back up, it'd be something you would be maybe help us with. Definitely. Um, you know, I, I just took some time away. I was doing like five or six events and pizza runs over at Beaver Creek Pizza Dive and just had a lot going on. But I, I really do love uh, event management. It's super fun. And I would love, you know, actually I approached the city of Fairborn about putting on a race here in 2017 and ultimately went with Vandalia. So I, I was looking ah. at it 
years ago because I know the city is just, you know, ripe for such a good event. And maybe some we can partner with Wright State to get some students. If we do a time when the students are in, maybe it's a student type thing or it'd be, yeah. be great. You have a lot of opportunity here. A ton of, you know, high school students here. JRTC is really mm -hmm. active. You got Wright State. Uh, you got the military base. There's just so many options, so much history here. Um, so many good roads, so many good parks. So Just no 10K Hill. Yeah, no 10K <laughs> Hills. Well, uh, half half yeah. marathon we'll, we'll hill. run up the Maple Hill there from... I'm okay running up Maple. I mean, I don't mind running up Maple. <laughs> There's some like some some hidden hills back in those neighborhoods, like Ironwood back oh, there. Oh, yeah, 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 that one. Those those will sneak up on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Brandon. No Appreciate worries. It. Thanks for having me.